this. And the question we're asking, like I said, is how do we stay centered in a crazy world? Because I don't know about you, but like it seems like the world has gone, like the world was always kind of mad, right? But like what all has happened in the last two years, it seems like the world has gone really mad. Like it's really lost its bananas. And so we're trying to figure out, for those in the room who are Christ followers, people of faith, what does God's word say to us? What is God's spirit saying to us? What are we to be and to do as the church in the face of these? How do we stay centered in these crazy things? And if you're someone who's not a Christ follower, not a person of faith, maybe you're peeking in and wondering, what do these guys believe about this? What we're going to be drilling into, as Eric said, over the next six weeks are some of the core fundamental values that not only shape our life and shape our Christianity, but should also shape the world in which you live in. We're going to look at things like faith. We're going to look at things like community. We're going to look at things like peace, generosity, love. And we're going to wrap up the entire series a couple weeks from now looking at the power and the purpose of hope. Because here's one thing I understand. Here's one thing I think you'll agree with me on. The world needs hope. There's just a sense of general hanging in the air, hopelessness that no one really has an answer to. And I believe that we, what we have in, in Jesus, what we have in his word, we have in our faith is the answer to the question, where is the hope? of the world. So today in part one, we're going to look at faith. And we're going to look at a very specific side of faith, because faith is so huge. Faith could be a series all of itself. But I want to look at very specifically how we build our lives, how we center our lives through faith. Because here's the truth, and again, you agree with me, it's so easy to lose our balance when things around us are crazy. It's like right now, I don't know if you maybe don't notice, have noticed this, but I'm off balance in my speaking rhythm. The band were off balance in their playing rhythm. Because when you're used to doing things a certain way and things go wrong, we react, we rebound, but like we're just out of cadence. We're like slightly off timing. I, I was a, a drummer for years. And I played when we started our church from the first Sunday we started up until uh, actually Rebecca, who's one of our worst leaders, until I actually raised up her, taught her to play drums. And she started in the band as a drummer. About seven years, I played drums every Sunday in church. I would open the service and hello to everybody. I'd jump on the drum kit, play my merry heart out, jump up and pray, take the offering. Then I'd preach, jump back in the drum kit for the response song, and then close the service. It was like really, really hard work. And so I'm glad that we have lots of drummers. Of course, we're so grateful for guys like Gift who do a great job every Sunday. But here's one of the things you don't know about being a drummer. When, when the guitar player misses timing or a vocalist misses their cue for a word, very few people ever notice it. You know what I'm saying? Very few people even know what a bass player does. Like we see him, he's got a bass guitar, I have no clue what he's doing. In fact, the bass player, in my opinion, is the most important person in the band. Because when he or she is not there, something's missing. It's crucial. But when the drummer misses his timing, even the most unmusical person's going, something's sick with that band. Something's not right. Something is really fundamentally wrong with that band. That's because when things get out of kilter, when things around us begin to fall apart, it's very hard to stay balanced, to keep our rhythm. And for those who grew up playing sports like I did, you know the importance of balance when it's football or rugby, whatever sport you played. And in fact, when we think about sports, I mean, about balance, we think, well, well, balance is important for all sports, but maybe the most famous or most, are the sports where it's most important are things like, you know, ice skating. That requires balance, right? Or maybe it's like tightrope walking, I don't know, or just ballet, like all these things. One sport you don't really think of when you think of balance is golf. Maybe you're walking through an airport, or maybe you're in a pub one time and they're, they're replaying this clip of a guy who's hitting a ball from like a sandy place and they're like celebrating this as the greatest things ever happened in the field of sports. And you're watching and going, 
That doesn't look so hard. I mean, he just hit the ball out of sand. Like, why is that so complicated? So you kind of look at golf and you just miss it and you go, oh, that's crazy. I don't, I don't see the big deal is. Until, of course, you go to a driving range or to a golf course, and if you just try hit the ball on the flat ground, like no wind, no rain, no different off-balance position, it is so hard to hit that blessed little golf ball. I'm telling you, it's so hard. It's so much harder when you're off-balance. And so much of what makes sport exciting to watch is the human ability to defy the laws of gravity and balance by doing things they shouldn't be able to do. Think about your sport. I mean, for me, I think about rugby. I think about the greatest tackles or greatest passes or greatest plays. And all have one thing in common. They all require balance. Balance is important for us to live a good life. So what happens when the world around us is so crazy that we get knocked off balance? Financially, knocked off balance. We're more in the red than the black. When our marriage gets locked off balance, when mentally we just, we know we should be well and, you know, cerebrally and rationally we know all things are well, but we just don't feel well. When spiritually we're out of balance, like what do we do when the world around us is crazy? What do we do when we're faced with a global pandemic? What do we do when coming out of the pandemic, we get this surprise dessert of a war on our continent? And please keep praying for the people of Ukraine. What do we do when as a response to war on our continent, we're paying an economic price that's killing us, killing us, fuel and rent and all these things. And all of a sudden, many of us who never had to worry about little purchases are now counting our pennies because inflation is a real thing. I mean, think about how, how much the world is trying to knock us off balance on a global scale. But also think about the personal and private level. Think about your, I, mean, I don't know your story. I know my story. I shared some, some of the craziest of my life this morning, having no voice, having a baby that's teething, having issues with production and stuff. But like, what about your life? Like, what about, what, what's, what's out of balance in your life right now? Because when the world around us and the world within us are both simultaneously crazy, that's not a good thing. And when the world around us and the world within us is crazy, it's easy to lose our footing. You ever tried to climb something, a tree, a wall, a mountain? I mean, you really take for granted the, the quality of footing that we have when we're in a town or in a, a concrete place. But when you climb something that's unstable, all of a sudden you become very conscious of where your feet are. Because if you don't put your foot in the right place, you will slip. And depending on where you are, that might cause some damage. And in life, we're in a place where many of us are just trying to navigate this, this chaotic thing called life. And when the world within us and the world around us has just constantly been bombarded with crazies, it's so easy to lose our footing. And very often when you're climbing and you lose your footing, you also lose your grip. And when you lose your footing and lose your grip, when you lose your grip on life, your grip on sanity, your, your control of basic things, it's very easy to lose your way. I don't know about you, but I talk to a lot of people now and it just seems like they've lost their way. Like they don't know what to do. Like they're living, they're going to work, they're going through the motions, but they don't really have the capacity to deal with what's happening around them because of what's happening within them. And what I'm finding more and more as I talk to people is I, f- I find people who have this sense of abandonment. They feel abandoned. They feel a bit lost. They feel a bit hopeless, which leads them to feel apathetic. Like, what's the point? Like, who cares? Like, if the world's, you know, uh, natural direction is always towards its own self-destruction, then what's the point about caring or giving or helping when at the end of the day it's all going to go down the toilet bowl anyway, which can lead to anger. And some people are angry in an extrovert way. They're very obvious and very verbal with their anger. But there's a lot of people who are angry internally. 
They're carrying a low-grade anger. And you know it because you're married to it. Come on. <clears throat> I'm being serious. It's not your usual, like, you didn't wash the dishes. It's just this, this ongoing, never-ending, incurable frustration. And where it's coming from is this combined pressure of craziness within and craziness without. And what it's doing to our world, I believe, is it's causing people to get to a point in apathy where they're saying things like, you know what, nothing really matters. You know, how, how, I, how I carry myself as a Christ follower in the end doesn't really matter. How I carry myself in school doesn't really matter. How I carry myself online doesn't really matter because, because of pandemics and wars and economic downturns, why does anything really matter? Now, again, you don't get this just from having a, a very superficial conversation at the petrol pump, but as you get talking to people, there's a real sense of apathy in our world right now because the world is crazy. It's like we're, we're in a ship and it's been buffeted and beaten by the waves. I remember at the very beginning of the pandemic, um, one pastor, a very well-known pastor called Rick Warren, came out and he said, you know, people often say when we go through these stormy times that we're all in the same boat, right? Like we're all, oh, because he, so he said, like, oh, we're all in the same boat as churches. And he would say, no, 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 we're not in the same boat. We're in the same storm. Some of us have cruise liners because of our resources. Others of us have yachts. And some are hanging on to the plank they found for dear life. We may not all be in the same boat, but we are in the same storm. And what we all need is the same thing. We need an anchor. We need something that will help us find stability. We need something that will give us a sense of security. We need something that will help us be, not just feel, but be safe. We need, and, 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 and I think many people, as they're roaming through their life and going through experiences, what they're doing is they're entering into relationships, entering into jobs, entering into college courses, entering into places like this perhaps, and they're just throwing in their anchor, hoping something catches. And you meet that person, oh, he's the perfect person for me. Something doesn't align with his character. Something doesn't align. He doesn't believe what I believe. Our faith is aligned. But he seems like a nice guy. So I'll just stick my anchor in this person and hope for the best. And at the, at the beginning, all things seem to be working well until all of a sudden the anchor becomes loose. And all of a sudden your world's falling apart. And you think, man, what happened? And what happened was, was you, you placed your anchor on a person. And there's only one guarantee, only one thing that will happen whenever we anchor our lives on another human being, we will be disappointed, we will be let down, and we'll be heartbroken. You see, for us to be centered, we, we need to be centered, and for us to be centered, we need to be anchored. In Scripture, God's Word speaks directly into this. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 19, it says, it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, and unlike the anchors of economy, and world peace, and you know, human safety, and personal health, which can fail us at any time, the hope that we have in Jesus will never fail us. It will never let us down. It's firm and secure. And what we're trying to unpack over these few weeks is what does it mean for us as people? Christ followers are those who are curious to, 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 to how would you describe it, to bury our anchor, to, 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 to release our anchor, to, to, to anchor our lives on the person of Jesus. To put it another way, here's the question. How do we build our lives on in order to center? How do we build our lives in order to be centered in this crazy world? How do we build our lives in order 
to be centered in this crazy world. To help us answer that question, we're going to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, and verse 24, 27. And those of you who grew up in church or are Christ followers or have been around the experience like this for a long time, you know these verses. a very, very famous piece of scripture. And even if you don't know it, even if you weren't raised, you're probably familiar with the metaphor that Jesus used here because it really has been used widely throughout time. So this is verse 24. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Say wise man. Wise man. Want to do better than that? Say wise man. Wise. Who built his house on the rock. That's not Dwayne Johnson rock. That's Jesus the rock, okay? The rain came down. The streams rose. The wind blew it and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man. Say foolish man. Foolish man. Okay, I'll say a foolish woman, because I want to make sure it's not just one center. Anybody? <laughs> no, we can't do that? Okay. Foolish person who built their house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, except it fell, and it fell with a great crash. Now, for those who are new to this, what's happening? Well, we call this a parable, okay? Whenever Jesus told a metaphorical story to illustrate a scriptural, illustrate a scriptural truth, the technical term for it is a parable. It's like an illustrative story that reveals a spiritual truth. It's not literal. It's, it's probably fictitious. Jesus is trying to get his audience to understand the point. And the point is, we all are building our lives, Right? We all have hopes, we all have dreams, we all have aspirations. And the choices that we make day to day, where we work, what we wear, what we post online, who we hang out with, all these choices we make are actually designed, or at least we desire for them to be designed in such a way that they're leading us towards the fulfillment, the attainment of our hopes, dreams, and desires. All of us are builders. Maybe you've never built anything in your life. But one thing you're building every single day is building your life. And very often we get, we get sidetracked because we think, oh, if I go this way, but my dream is that way, somehow magically, like in Disney movies, by going this way, I land here. And the truth is that never happens. Because if you go that way, you're going to keep going that way. If you want to go that way, you've got to make a choice to move in the direction of which your dreams require. The way we say here is our direction, not our intention, determines our destination. I'll say it again. Our direction, not our intention, determines our destination. Don't tell me you're heading to Cork and turn right at the M50 and turn left at the M50 and head for Belfast. You can't drive around the earth because we're on an island, everybody. You head north, you're going to hit the beautiful coast of Port Rush which is wonderful, but it isn't y'all. If you want to head to y'all, you point your car in the direction of Cork, which is due south, and start driving. And chances are, even if you get lost and lose your way temporarily, you will find y'all. Y'all. So the direction that we choose when it comes to what, what we want to see in our life, whether it's in our relationships, whether it's our, our studies, whether it's our career, really, really matters. And Jesus speaking into that exact, I mean, even though it happened 2,000 years ago, it's the same dynamic. This group, this crowd, they were building their lives, and Jesus challenging them on what they're building their lives upon. And in this parable, we see comparison, we see contrast, and we see calling. And kind of creeping or breaking through the comparison, contrast, and calling is this kind of message, this kind of truth, this spiritual principle about authentic faith. 
Because let's be honest, what is faith? I mean, faith, so many people believe in f- stuff. Like, I believe in the fairy godmother. That requires faith. I believe in Santa. That requires faith. I believe in, you know, Man United's ability to make a comeback. That requires great faith. Maybe even possible faith. I mean, everything that we, anything that, anything that we have in our life that is not and we hope for is an act of faith. You can be an atheist, agnostic, non-believing person and still you operate with faith. Because anything that isn't that you hope to, to become an outcome is an act of faith. So I'm talking about not just faith in general. I'm talking about authentic faith in God. Authentic faith in the person that we proclaimed here last under the resurrected Son of God and Savior of the world. And so Jesus sets up this, this metaphor, this, this illustration, and he presents it with two characters. One is wise and one is foolish. And the way he designs this is every one of us should be able to see ourselves in both characters. Because like we said back in our January series, no one is born wise. Like no one comes out of the womb with a doctorate, like quoting Aristotle. You understand what I'm saying? Like wisdom is not about intelligence. Wisdom is our ability to understand truth and apply it to our lives. And the more that we do that, the more we avoid foolish outcomes. The foolish person is the person who ignores revealed truth and lives their lives in the hope that they'll be found out. And they're the person that keeps running into the wall time after time. The point is every single one of us has the capacity to be wise or foolish depending on our choices. And we might be wise in certain areas and foolish in others. Not just, not just a generally wise person. We all have the capacity to be wise and foolish in different circumstances. And what Jesus is inviting us to see, the challenge in this is, is for us to ask the question, which we're going to get to at the end, which one am I? When it comes to building your life, according to what Jesus says, or would you be considered wise or foolish? Well, let's go look at number one, the comparisons. What, what do they have in common? What, what, what do we see in comparison? Well, we see, number one, that both characters were opening, open sorry, to listening to the word. Like many scholars, when you do research in this text, will say that primarily what Jesus is saying here is he isn't speaking to believers and non-believers. He isn't speaking to Christ followers and skeptics. He's speaking mostly to people who actually are believers because they're hearing the word. And if they're not believers and hearing the word, at least they're open to hearing the word. So if you're here and you're not a believer and you're not open to hearing the word, this message has no application for you. But if you're here and you're a believer, Christ follower, or you're open to hearing the word, then you are in this story with the rest of us because we're all, both parties were open to listening. The other thing they have in common is both were building. Both had a dream. Both had a desire. Both had a sense of purpose. Both wanted to accomplish something. And in many ways, both were building the same thing. They're both building a house. And of course, a house, uh, scripturally speaking, is always a metaphor for your life. A house can be a metaphor for your life, for your family, for a church, for a community, a nation. There's so many examples where God refers to a nation as a house of. Or in many ways, a church is like the house of God. You've probably heard that language. from Not the physical building, yeah? The people. And so the, the house is always a metaphor for life. This, this, these two characters are both trying to build a house. And both completed what they were building. That, this is what they had in common. Both actually finished the house and surprise surprise whether you're wise or foolish both went through the same storms the wise being wise doesn't mean we don't face difficult days 
Being wise doesn't mean we're, we outsmart life. Life will always find us, friends. And there's rain, and there's wind, and there's flooding, physically and metaphorically. There's just bad days. Just like we can't control the physical weather, but can only respond to it. Very often we can't control the circumstances of our life, but we can choose how we respond to it. Whether it was the wise person or the foolish person, the weather wasn't a punishment of the fool for being foolish. The weather just happened. And both completed a house that for the most part stood in the face of the weather. Now, at this point, if, we're, if, we, if this was a real story and we were on the street where these two people lived, we wouldn't know the difference. We wouldn't know who the wise person is and we wouldn't know who the foolish person is because until the storm came, both looked the same. It was only when the house that was built was challenged by crazy circumstances without and maybe crazy circumstances within that all of a sudden the revelation came as to which was wise and which was foolish, which leads us to the number two, the contrast. The contrast. So they had so much in, in common, but they also had a lot not in common. For example, yes, both listened, but one acted. <clears throat> Jesus said, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is wise. Now listen carefully. If you've grown up in church, if your parents were Christ followers, if you were raised a Christian, this is a warning for you. Hearing is not enough. Being born into a house where your parents are called Christian will not save you. Having a label on your birth cert does not mean your faith is authentic. Is it knowing the word, reading the word? It is putting the word into practice that differentiates the wise from the fool. Now again, if you're a skeptic, a non-Christian, thinking, well, where am I in this? Good news. Just like I wasn't raised in a Christian home, like I wasn't raised in church, the minute you hear it, receive it, and apply it, the blessing comes with it. You don't have to have 10 years of experience. You don't have to have a spiritual pedigree to experience the pleasure and favor and blessing of God. God blesses obedience everywhere, every time, in everyone's life. So both listened but one acted, one put into practice. And I think it's a challenge for the global church, the capital T church worldwide, because one of the reasons why we get so, so much of a bad rap is there's too many people who call themselves Christian because they think by listening, they think by being in church, they think by ticking boxes, by being religious, that, that makes them a Christ follower. And they go out, leave the church, and they go out and live their lives, and they're the complete opposite. And people are so dumbfounded, like, what's going on? You say you're this, but you live like that. And please, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. We fail as Christians. We mess up. I told you many times on this very platform where I've messed up. Just the other day in traffic, this guy pulled out in front of me, almost killed me. He, he gave me a hand signal. Wasn't the peace sign. I, without thinking, returned the signal. Wasn't the peace sign. I was like, oh, Jamie, you're a pastor. What are you doing, dude? You preach this stuff. Come on. So we're not perfect, right? And the world doesn't need a perfect church. The world needs a church that when, we, when it falls, it takes responsibility. It says sorry. It seeks forgiveness. It seeks to put things that are broken right. We don't live in arrogance. We don't live in, in a state of, well, God, forgive me. We follow the example of our Savior, who is a suffering Savior. And so the world doesn't need a perfect church. It needs an authentic church. But there's too many people who are listening, who are attending, who are reading, who are going to church. But Jesus would say, well, it doesn't make you a Christ follower. The one that acted. And maybe acted historically, but the challenge is in the present tense, are you acting now? 
So the first contrast is one listened, both listened, but one acted. The second contrast is both were building the same thing, but not in the same way. The foolish man were told, built on the sand, while the wise man built on the rock. And again, this is a pretty obvious metaphor, but sand is easy, right? Right? You don't take your kids to the cliff face to build sand castles, everybody. Right? Because you'd need some heavy-duty machinery to excavate that rock to build something. Go for it, kids. Find yourself some boulders and eat your heart out. You know what I'm saying? Build a great castle. No, we bring our kids to the beach because sand is easy. And even though because of the, the modern you know, uh, science and engineering, people can build, like, you know, Eric, our producer today, he, who's a guy hosting, he's an architect. Like what these people can build on and with is incredible. Like, the, the people can build on sand now. But the point is, is the metaphor is designed to show us that the sand represented the easy way, the quick way, the cheap way, <coughs> the, the path of least resistance, the path which required the least of me. Whereas the rock required work, it required effort, it required perseverance, it required tenacity, it required, you know, maybe trying and failing, but the reward for the one that built on the rock was when the storm came, it stood. And so many of us, in the same way, we may be building our lives and our dreams, and maybe even those who are Christ followers, because again, the, the prime application is for Christ followers that even though you're a Christ follower, are you building on the sand or building on the rock. Both built the same thing, but did not build the same way. Number three, both completed their house, but they chose different foundations they already ref- referenced. And lastly, both went through the same storms, right? But both were affected differently. We're told the fool's house fell. And not only that, but Jesus inserted the caveat. Whenever Jesus inserts a caveat, it's not, not, it's not for nothing, it's on purpose. What a great crash. Because there's something about when we do something stupid and we're found out, it's really bad. You ever notice that? You only do something stupid and you, you own up, like you speak out, it's almost like it's not that bad. But when you do something bad and you hide it and you deceive people and it comes out what you did, it's much worse. And all of a sudden, rather than going from a, a small slip, like I'm really sorry, I should have done that, my bad, please forgive me, it's like this huge crash. Like what could easily have been fixed over a coffee as a couple, just owning up to your junk and taking responsibility as a husband or wife for your family becomes a divorce. What can easily be resolved in work with honest upfront conversations characterized by integrity leads to a lawsuit, litigation. What, what, what can easily be resolved between two friends just saying, my bad man, I should have been there for you, leads to a 10, 15, 20-year friendship falling down in ruins. And it doesn't just slip away. It falls with a great crash. Now, parts of our lives, we've experienced this. But the challenge I want you to see today is your whole life can become this if you're building on the sand. And listen, I, I absolutely love that I get to do this. I mean, I, I had no ambition to do this. I mean, when I first became a Christ father, I didn't even know what a pastor was. I still don't know what one is. You can find one shown to me, okay? I just knew God called me, and I wanted to help people. And I just went on this journey of just obe- obeying him and following his leadership and his guidance for my life. I love the fact that I get to help people build their faith, discover purpose, you know, serve Jesus. And I love to see people flourish. I love to see people feeling fulfilled and really make a difference in the world. It really is an awesome 
awesome privilege. I mean, in that American sense, in the, in the literal sense. It's an awesome privilege. But with that comes the other side, which is all the heartache and heartbreak and the pain of being phoned when marriages are falling apart, when kids have run away, when terrible things happen. Having, the counsel, having, to, having to walk through storms with people that you're like, I warned you about this. I told you in church, if you build your house on the sand, it will fall every time. But you didn't listen. And here we are now, and of course, we have grace and we're, we're a church for life. If you'll have us, we're for life. We'll never leave you, never abandon you, never forsake you, because that's who God is. Right? So thick or thin, we're there. But like your man, you're going, man, the, the unnecessary heartbreak of this moment, of this situation, could have been averted if you were just wise. It breaks my heart. But sooner or later, in every single instance that I've seen, the house comes down. You build your house in the sand, it will fall. But if you're wise, if you're open to being wise, if you're open to wisdom, then like the wise person... When the same storms, the same difficulties come, they beat against your house, they may rip a window pane out, they may take a, you know, a, a brush, a, a, a tree out your garden, they may knock over some things in your house, your, your trampoline may go flying into the next county. Like, things may happen to your house, right? But it will not fall down. It will not collapse. The foundation on which it is built will not give way. You can find an anchor when your life is built on the rock. So comparison, contrast, number three, and calling. So what's the point? What is Jesus saying to us? What is, the, what is the convocation? What is the challenge? What is the calling in this message? Well, he's saying that when it comes to our lives, the quick, easy, and convenient way may seem like the best of all because, hey, it's quick. I can do it. It doesn't, it doesn't cost me anything. Like being a person who you know, frequently attends church, to the average Christ follower now attends church one in three weeks of a month. What are we all doing? That church got like moved on to second place. Yeah. Oh, well, you don't understand. I have this. I do understand because I'm a person. I'm a parent. I have a family. Yeah. Yesterday, my son, my 15-year-old son, won the Leinster Cup in his age division. Very proud of him. We're celebrating. Yes. <laughs> Scored the opening try in the first two minutes. First try of the season. I'm delighted for him. But one of the things I told his coach at the beginning of the season was, listen, we love rugby. My dad played rugby. I play rugby. My sons play rugby. All of my sons, bar the baby, well, he will one day, play rugby, okay? We're a rugby family. However, we do not play on Sunday. Because we love rugby, but we love God more. We love sport, but we love his church more. We're committed to this, but we're more committed to the plan and purpose of God for us. Don't think because... Someone's called a pastor. They have to sacrifice things to be committed. We all have to sacrifice to build our life on the rock. It's not convenient. It's not easy. It's not quick. It costs us something. But it's so simple to fall. So, it's so easy to fall. I'm thinking, oh, that, that's too much. Like, you know, I'll, just, I'll just every now, I'll just dip in and out. I'll just, I'll just, I'm a Christian, you know, I pray every now and again. Like I do these things. No, your house is on the sand. And if you're not careful, you will be found out. It will fall. And Jesus isn't saying this parable to condemn us. He's given it to us as a grace gift to reveal the foundation, to give us a chance to change it. You see, the fool thinks, man, it's best of all, but often or not, what he's building is actually the first to fall. The first to fall. The wise person, in contrast then, is oftentimes the last man standing. Same resource, same dream, same vision, same house. Difference was one built 
on the rock. Bottom line, what we're saying here. The bottom line is both believed, but the wise person's faith was evidenced in obedience. The foolish person's faith, their belief in God was evidenced in their words. Oh yeah, I believe you, Jesus. Great sermon. Great, oh, metaphor. Fant- I love it. Thank you. You're the best. Yeah, woo. But uh, I'm going to keep doing my thing. Whereas the wise person had the humility to say, hang on, there's something in this that's important. There's something in this that like any foundation isn't, like, like, no, one, no one shows up to a building site and goes, look at the foundation. Isn't it amazing? Like when someone's building a building, they don't invite you along and say, come see my foundation. Like, come, walk on it. Isn't that so solid? Like when someone has a housewarming party or a building is, is inaugurated or whatever they call it, like you go to the finished article, right? There's a ribbon, you cut it, you walk in, it's wonderful, there's glass, there's furniture. Oh, what a wonderful house. And you chose that color and oh my gosh, you know, and we all do that kind of thing. But we're celebrating the least important part of the structure. Because you can build a great house on a poor foundation and it will fall. No one celebrates the foundation, but the wise understand its value. Ask an architect if he can build a future or a builder on a business that doesn't believe in the importance of foundations. Like we live in a world where there's all, all these inspections that go into even before a foundation is even laid because the world understands, the world understands in a pervasive sense the importance of a foundation. Yet personally we think, ah, oh, it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to keep cruising this way in the hope I get that way. See, the bottom line what Jesus is saying is that it's not what your house is built of that counts, but what your house is built on that matters most. We're a culture that's obsessed with with the question, what's your house built of? What brand is it? What make is it? What color is it? Is it in season? Is it Vogue? I mean, what is it? Like, oh, wow. I mean, we're we're so obsessed with the superficial. Again, there's a place that I think it's good to have beautiful things, not against interior design. I say we shouldn't spend money on nice things, okay? I really believe in the, in the beauty and the creativity of furniture. And, oh, look at the effort we go to. I mean, I'm not, it's not lost to me. However, if there's a choice, and there is often a choice, of which comes first, what we're saying is, is what Jesus is trying to show us is that it's not what your house is built of, in the long run, that matters most, but what your house is built on. And we know this. If you've been in a relationship that has not lasted, it's probably because that relationship was founded on the bling, on the superficial, on the exterior. You can start a relationship on those things, but you can't maintain one on it. You have a long-lasting relationship. Like, not just a, an enduring marriage, but an, an enjoying marriage. Do you understand the difference? Then it's got to be built on something more than just superficiality. You see, the bottom line is, is Jesus challenging us by saying, hey, if you want to build your life in a way that it stays centered, no matter how crazy the world is around us, if you want to have an anchor for your soul, and despite the rain and the wind and the floods, because they will come wiser and wiser they're coming. If you want to endure these things and stay standing, if you want to be counted wise in God's eyes, then build your life on the person of Jesus by practicing his word. Build, it's very important. Build your life on the person who's yes. Right? Most of us go, put a full stop and go, yes. Amen. No, no, no. But the point of the parable is by the practicing of his word. Because to build our life on Jesus means that the foundation informs the structure. The foundation shapes the structure. 
From the foundation, the structure takes its lead. We don't tell the foundation what it should be. The foundation speaks to us. And if we're built on Jesus, then that building, that, that wisdom is evidenced in the obedience of our lives by the practicing of our faith. And so here's I get to the faith point. So, so what does faith do practically to help us build? Well, here's, as we've been, been to close, here's three ways we build a house that stays centered. Number one, when it comes to faith, we build by hearing the word. So you're here. Well done. I don't mean a condescending. It's good to be in church. And we shouldn't take for granted or undervalue just the, va- just the, just the, the power of being here. Just being here is a good thing. Many of us, including me as leader, had a really crappy morning. Many of us are going through things. I have no voice. I'm a preacher. Like, come on. It's like, it's like an electrician showed up to your house with no tools. Like, sorry. I mean, I can think about it for a while, you know, if that helps. I mean, it's tough. We all have our story, our background. But the bottom line is just being here and being, positioning ourselves in a place to hear the word. That's the best place to start. Because we're told that authentic faith comes from the word. It doesn't come from just a, a blind belief in God. Yes, it can start there, but it isn't established there. Our faith grows. Our faith is established. Our faith is stabilized from the word. In Romans ten seventeen, the new King James verse says, so faith then comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. To build a house that stands and to build a life that is centered, we need to be in God's word. And God's word needs to be in us. And so, you know what? If, if all you can do right now is come on Sunday, I sincerely applaud you and say, well done. But if you can do more, if you can go home today and pick up God's word and read like one chapter, 10 verses. I mean, if you read one sentence in God's word every day, his word, the time isn't powerful. But the word is so powerful that one sentence can change and revolutionize your entire day. See, again, our human thing is we always try to put on the word our thing. Oh, it has to be an hour. It has to be this. Has to be. No, no, no. If we just come to God with hungry hearts and give him something, you never underestimate what God can do with a little bit of faith. But if we're going to really live out our lives, like if we're going to be built on Jesus, then the word, yes, has to be we have to be in the Word, but the Word has to be in us. Because what happens when the storms come? What happens when challenges come? Well, I don't know. When the, word, when the Word is in you, all of a sudden, a wisdom you did not know you have comes to the surface. You're like, where did that come from? I didn't, I didn't even know I knew that. Because God is speaking to us. We need to be, <clears throat> here's the Word. Number two, we need to build by trusting the Word. So hearing is a good place to start, but we also need to trust it. Why? Because authentic faith makes us brave. Authentic faith gives us confidence. Like I told you before, I am not a, an extroverted, confident person. When I was in school, I was not the class president. I was not, not the speaker of the band. I was the drummer. Drummers are usually quiet people, yeah? Have you noticed this? Yeah? Unless you're Phil Collins, okay? Drummers don't do a lot. They hide in the background and beat things up. You know what I'm saying? That's what we're good at, right? So I was not in school, like the captain of the team. and the, I, I, I was not that person. But when God called me and he gave me a passion for people, my passion for you overcame my fear of this. And so every time I have to come to speak, whether it's here or at a big conference, it doesn't really matter because I understand in that moment it's not about me, it's about helping people. But helping, it makes a difference. But it isn't something that I conjure up into myself. I don't have like a, a thing I go through, like a, a mantra. I have faith that in all I'm saying today, God is speaking. 
And for at least one person in this room or one person watching online, what I'm saying will make a difference in your life. And if it makes a difference in one person's life, then this throat marathon I'm going through is worth it. The sacrifice of many hours of preparation is worth it. The hours of praying for you, even though I don't, I don't even know, is worth it. If one person hears from God and affects their life, See, when we, when we understand, when we trust that God's word is on purpose, for purpose, and never comes back empty, it gives us courage, it gives us confidence. Which is why in Hebrews 11, 1, it says, faith is, like, when, it, when you describe faith, faith is confidence in what we hope for, against that word again, and assurance about what we do not see. To build a house that stands on a life that is centered, we need to stand in confidence on the word, and be confident in our stand for the word. Hey, we are so grateful that you could join us today. We really hope and pray that you were encouraged, that you feel blessed by this message. And you know, it would really help us if you could click the like button and also subscribe to our channel because we want to get this message across Ireland and the world and that would really, really help us. So please go and do that. Um, and also to let you know that you can watch and listen to previous messages and find out a whole bunch of stuff on our website, Lighthouse Church. And something else that's really cool, Jake. Tell us about something our else. Today. Yes, guys, we have a brand spanking new Lighthouse Church app. Yeah. So make sure to go download it on our website, or you can download it via the app stores. And there's a lot of cool things in there. You can rewatch previous messages, and there's also some downloadable content for you guys. So make sure to download the Lighthouse Church app. And there's also the Good Old Fashioned Bible. Bible is so important. So, and you know what? Even better than this experience today that we've had is church in person. It's just so good. We meet every Sunday morning in Navin and in Dublin. You can find out all the information on our website, uh, but it's at 11 a.m. every Sunday in person and we have the best time. So come join us. Uh, we would love to have you with us. So we'll see you next week for Lighthouse Church Online, 7 p.m. Yes. right here. And also don't forget to follow our social media handles, lighthousechurch.ie. So we'll see you next week, guys. Bye.